This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A. It's Thursday afternoon, so hopefully there's enough time for everybody to have gotten their questions in, but let's jump in and see what we got. First up, over on Patreon, Jay Business wanted to chime in on the discussion that Alucard had last week about using pigtails so that when you plug and replug your AV cables, you're not constantly wearing down the socket on your original console. You're only wearing it down on the pigtail. And they said they have the exact same concern. What they did was order a pigtail from Retro Access, and now no more plugging and unplugging HD Retrovision cables directly into the 32X. It was significantly cheaper than ordering another set of cables. Hope this helps. Um, that's a good suggestion. Once again, I don't know that I worry about it too much, but if you did do something like you just recap your 32X, you have one of the rare ones that always works, then yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt. If you have the extra money to spend, it's certainly not going to take away from it. And it might not be necessary, but it's a precaution and peace of mind. And if the cable's cheap enough, why not? The only thing to note, just um, if you're using HD retrovision cables, You'll need the pigtail wired for RGB and composite video, as well as audio, obviously, but HD Retrovision uses composite video as sync for a bunch of reasons that was absolutely the right decision when Steve was designing the cables, but just wanted to put that out there. But yeah, I mean, running pigtails is an easy way to kind of alleviate the stress of the port, Um, but I just, I don't know if it's something that we should all really be concerned about. It it could be, but I just, you know, when I give recommendations, I I always want to be as honest as possible. And there's sometimes that I'm like, yes, you have to recap a game gear, period, end of story. If you open up one of the Majesco ones that doesn't happen to have leaky caps, recap it anyway, because those things are ticking time bombs. But with this, I don't know if I would ever say you have to use pigtails, but it's not a bad thing. So totally cool if that's something you wanted to do. Moon Turtle is considering either buying a RetroTINK 2X or 5X, and they'll be using an Extron MPS-112 to switch between their composite, S-video, and component video inputs. So they have some questions regarding how many consoles you could have connected at the same time and some other options. I read every word of the question, but just to try to make my answer clearer, I'm going to skip to the end here. So first and foremost, if you already have an existing setup with a bunch of different consoles and you're looking for one target uh, scalar device to, to connect all of them into, I really think going to the 5X is worth the money. I know it's a lot more money, but if you have a very cool setup like that. There's just so many features that allow it to really bring the most out of your whole setup that I think it's worth it. 
And one of those features is the ability to leave all of the video inputs connected at the same time. If I remember correctly, I don't think the 2X Pro allows for that. I think you could only connect one at a time for the same reasons why you would never ever want to use a Y cable on the video side of things. But if you're using an Xtron switch, you might be able to just take the output and wire them to all of the inputs on the retro tank and then just switch between whichever one that you're actually using at the time. And I don't think you would ever have an issue with that. The only thing you might want to do, depending on your wiring setup, as you mentioned here, is use composite through the SCART port and then leave the rest open for uh, component video. But you don't have to do that here. Um, and you could also, if you're in a situation where you have to have discrete outputs, you could use a Y cable on the audio inputs. Now, there's a small chance it could create some kind of buzz or hum, but I would be I would say try it first because there will be no harm done. Whereas with video, you could definitely do some harm, but not with audio. Steve and I did the video on that a while back. It's still people's brains explode when I say that, but we proved it on a scope. We, we proved it in multiple different ways. Why cable with audio is totally safe but not video, and certainly not in the scenario of a retro tank where you're plugging multiple things in. So I honestly would say buy the 5X, and it's really just because there's just so many other options, not just that you could add a bunch of different things to it. And the only time I would really suggest the 2X at the moment, and I mean this with love and respect, because obviously I'm a huge fan of the devices, I think they're awesome, but if you were plugging one thing in at a time and you're on a budget, that's perfect. You don't need to spend any more to get a really good experience. It's got some cool options. But on the flip side of things as well, if you're just going to a CRT VGA monitor, there's no reason to upgrade because all you're really doing is line doubling to 480p and then adding just basic horizontal scan lines. So from that reason, I would also say the 2X Pro would be the better choice just because you don't need to spend the money. You would just have to plug one thing at a time and, and that's pretty much it. So... For your setup, I honestly think the 5X is the way to go, but you know, if you have any other questions, let me know and I'll elaborate because I just think it adds a lot of different options, not to mention the comb filter, the different options for filtering composite video, and it just, it really is a, a massive step up, which is why it's, you know, over twice the price. It's, it's kind of fair. Paul Harris wants to add a JAMA game and switch to their Mr. Cade cabinet. It's currently wired for stereo with line level output from the Mr. Cade into a small amplifier. Is the easiest solution just to wire up a third speaker to be driven by the amplified JAMA mono? Can they somehow get JAMA audio levels shifted into their audio amp? So there's a few different ways to go about doing this. And while I'm not an arcade expert, I do have a ton of experience with it. And I've made a ton of mistakes, which I think is a good thing for these questions because I could definitely add some what not to do's here. But with JAMA and with all arcade cabinets, the first thing you need to remember, and I'm not talking down to you, I'm kind of talking generally to everybody, is that every single cabinet is different. Two MK machines that are, you know, the same factory date and, the, you know, two serial numbers apart might be completely different based on what's happened to it over the years. So you want to first just double and triple check how everything's wired. And if you have speakers in there and you have a JAMA game that has a potentiometer and a volume knob built in for that, or I guess even in the menus, what you might want to do is take your Mr. Cade and pull, just skip the audio amp and get audio directly from the Mr. Cade. 
and then run it all through a JAMA switch. And every time you switch to a different game, then you're going to have to use its audio to control the speakers. Now, there is a bunch of different reasons why in your specific setup that might not work. And if that's the case, you could just wire up a third speaker. That should be fine. The only thing you would want to just double check is how how everything is going to be wired through the switch and mono versus stereo. Now, it as long as it's discrete output so that when you switch between JAMA input one, it cuts off everything from input two and you switch to input two and everything from input one is cut off. You could just take your mono output and wire it to both speakers when you're using the original game. And much like I just discussed about Y cables with audio, that goes both ways. You could easily split a mono speaker, mono signal to two speakers, or like in the case of PVMs, you could easily take a Y cable and put stereo left and right into one mono speaker. Um, I, I will leave the link to the video that Steve and I did because people have a hard time believing it. And there's also this... Uh, this kind of stigma that's been going on that using a Y cable with audio will blow up your PVM. And I've heard that and I've always been skeptical. I've I've repeated that here on the Q&As over the years, but I've always used that with a caveat of, I don't really know if that's true. And we proved that it is not. It's very plausible that maybe they had static electricity plugged the audio cable in and the PVM was already 99.9% dead and that last little zap did it. That's plausible, but not just combining audio. So I would just double and triple check the wiring, the speakers, how it sounds directly connected to any of these things. And the only thing I, I'm not 100% sure of is stereo out of the Mr. Cade, because I wired mine for mono, but I do have a setup coming at some point that will have stereo audio. So I'll be going down this exact road soon because I do, I think I'm going to be using 99% Mr. Cade, but I would really love the ability to just plug something else in. So maybe I just want to use it to test an arcade board. Maybe I want to plug in a Raspberry Pi JAMA solution or something else. Now, on the flip side, just to discuss it, because you asked the question, and I don't think there's a lot of questions this week anyway. If your cabinet was wired different. If maybe you had, like, you built a PVM or, you know, an RGB direct monitor into a cabinet and you had your control stick going into the Mr. Cade, if that was the case, then you really already need line level. So what you might want to do is then use a cheap super gun to take that arcade board and, you know, the JAMA game and set both the video and audio levels to line and then run that through your audio amp and your RGB amp. But I don't think that's the case. I think you're talking about an actual arcade board that you've, or arcade cabinet that you've wired up. So I just wanted to put that flip side out there because I know a lot of people that have been making custom cabs with a PVM or RGB modding a consumer TV, but you're still feeding it line level standard RGBS plus audio. You're not feeding it arcade level voltage. So I just wanted to put that out there just in case, but um, I would just double and triple check the wiring and getting a decent JAMA switch might just do it for you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. YROC is currently having a weird issue with their TV's 1440p handling. 
When upscaling to 1440p on some consoles, the colors look washed out compared to the 1080p or 1200p resolutions with the same sources. The issue is more noticeable on certain consoles. The difference when upscaling their N64 via S-Video is either not there or small enough they don't notice, but when doing GameCube, that's pretty noticeable, and PS3 or Wii U, it's very noticeable. They've been messing around with pre-scaling to add scan lines and what effect the smoothing filter could have, and they thought it might be their HDMI to component converter at first, but since it looked fine at 1080p fill and 720p, they figured it wouldn't be that correct. They tried doing some basic color calibration, but that didn't seem to fix it, even if it did make it a little better. They also tried toggling full and limited range on the RetroTank 5X, but one of those was clearly more right than the other. Do I have any experience troubleshooting a problem like that with the TV, or should I consider it a lost cause for that resolution on that TV? So, 1440p is weird. It's not a resolution that TVs had really supported until recently, and I don't think it really was that, it really even was a thing on their radar until different game consoles started adding it and more PC gamers started using things like OLED TVs at home because it just was never a, a broadcast TV signal. So in my experience when using a TV, not a computer monitor, but an actual television Using 1440p has always ended up being weird. Now, I know some TVs that it's absolutely perfect. There's never been a problem. It supports it. But I think at least up till now, because, you know, now more TVs are supporting it. Over the years, I would say more TVs have issues with it than not. So what I would do is make sure you're on the very latest RetroTINK firmware and try both 1440p modes. If you're using the widescreen one now, Drop it down to the 4x3 one and then use your TV's aspect ratio controls to do that. If it's not compatible with the 4x3 one, that's your answer right there. Your TV's weird with 1440. Um, other than that, I mean, it's really just you did a lot of the troubleshooting yourself. It would not be the DAC if it works fine on uh, on 1080p, but not 1440, because the DAC is just simply feeding it the original signal. Um I was actually thinking of something like limited or full range and double check both on your TV and on the retro tank. Maybe there's some other settings that you need to change because that is one thing is it could be detecting the 1440p signal as if you were connected to a PC. So even though you are flipping full or limited range on the retro tank, double check when it's doing that that all of your TV settings are correct. Because for me, on my LG TVs that I own, if I set all of the settings in one mode and I switch resolutions or it detects that there's another resolution, then I have to reset those. And in fact, on the cheap one that I always use for the, the videos when I do TV shots, that one very often, if I'm toggling between resolutions and aspect ratios, will freak out and it'll be the wrong aspect ratio and I'll have to power it off and back on again in order for it to work right. So that's the other thing that you could do. Get everything booted up, uh, get it into the wrong mode, leave your retro tink and your console on, and power cycle the TV or, or even unplug it for a minute or just to be sure or something like that, and then power it back on and see if there's still weird color issues. Uh, if you're not using an LG TV, that's probably not a thing, but I just kind of wanted to give you all of the things that I've done to fix TV issues over the years. Even though a lot of those probably won't apply to your situation, who knows? But in all honesty, I think 1080p fill and 1080p over are the two best modes on the RetroTank 5X at the moment because of the 1080p 5X video I did explain that part. 1080p fill is, is just 
does a great job because most of the 480p sources you're going to get, you wouldn't mind smooth scaling anyway. So that's kind of a good one. But uh, I would give it another try just in case. But if you had to step down to 1080p, I, I, I don't think you should be disappointed at all. I think it really is awesome. So hopefully, um, you know, hopefully that's a help. And of course, you know, if you really want super sharp scaling, you could always set it to 1080p and get one of those 4K Gamer Pros. Um, I'm not sponsored by them. I don't have an affiliate link or if, but if they gave me one, I would use it. But I don't have an affiliate link. Um, it's just it's one of those things where it's an extra tool. If you really want sharpness give that a try. Yeah, but most people, I think it'd be fine just setting it to 1080p. Charles Madeer wanted to follow up on a conversation we were having about using DAX digital to analog converters with SNES digital audio mods. Um, so I'm not going to read through the question because I just want to respond in a slightly different way. Hopefully this is coming out all right. I mean this positive. But uh, so there was a few things that Charles wanted to talk about. First, they found a DAC that was definitely compatible with the SNES's audio output, which is a slightly weird signal. Some receivers are compatible with it, some are not, so it's good to know one that works. But it's kind of interesting. The first question one might ask is, why would you want to use a DAC with a digital audio output from a console that already outputs analog? And my guess, please correct me if I'm wrong here, Charles, is that when when these consoles generate their audio, they're generated digitally, and then on the motherboard itself, or in the cases of the older SNES on the little daughter board, the audio is converted from digital to analog and then output through the AV cables. So if you're somebody with a high-end audio system, not Bluetooth speakers with an RCA jack in it, some somebody who's taking the time to, to really use good quality equipment, quality speakers, etc., then taking those digital signals and using your own digital to analog conversion would be a step up in your opinion. Now, one could certainly argue that using it the way the developers intended with a left and right AV out from the SNES might be the quote unquote right way to do it. But, you know, if you're an audiophile, you're going to, you know what you like. So you have your converters that do certain things to the sound that might sound better for you. And I think the number one real world application for this is just simply people who get annoyed with the analog hum that comes out of most of these consoles. Some people might consider it part of the experience, you use really good shielded cables and it, it really lowers it. But if you use a digital output, there really is no ground noise. There is no hum. So by doing it that way, you could plug it into your receiver that has a digital input and the digital to analog conversion is just done as it's going out to the speakers. So that is common. That is something that, that is, you know, a lot of people might run into who just want a difference in the sound, which it is changing the audio, but I don't think that's good or bad. I think that's 100% up to you. So the other reason is if you have a really awesome two-channel amplifier, and I'm going to be doing a video about this soon, actually. Probably by, by fall, I'm going to be doing a bunch of audio-related things that would apply to us retro gamers, of course. Um, but let's say you have an awesome two-channel amp without a digital input. So obviously, you could just connect your Super Nintendo right in. But if you have an awesome amp with awesome speakers then you might be able to take advantage of using a better digital to analog conversion. And that's what Charles did with the Gishelli JNOG2, which is a beautiful looking piece of equipment that is 250 bucks. Uh, and it, it just, it looks awesome. Um, it, input selection, there's digital inputs on the front and on the back, which I think is awesome. That way you could select between them. 
and on top of that, it has both RCA outs as well as bal- are those balanced XLR outputs? That would be pretty interesting too. That would be another reason if you're an audiophile with a setup that could use balanced uh, analog audio, that would be pretty cool. And it also looks like it has a USB input. And you know, 250 bucks, uh, and you could even select which DAC chip you want. That's hysterical. Audiophile stuff cracks me up. I uh, I would never consider myself an audiophile, although I hear the differences and I appreciate it. Um, it really spending 250 bucks on a DAC that you like, I think, is very reasonable. But you could do stuff like you could spend thousands on DACs. Same thing, you know. Choose the tubes that you want. Choose the chip that you want, and that's that's not for me. But not making fun of you, Charles. I'm saying I think you made the right move buying something reasonable. So that's pretty cool. Um, I, you know, I wanted to take a moment to explain this out because I, I think it's a unique scenario, and especially because I want to pave the road for these videos that I'm going to have coming up talking about how amazing two-channel audio could be, what happens if you find a two-channel amp that doesn't have all the inputs you want, and that's certainly something that um, anybody who's into vintage equipment knows. Like, you could get, for under a grand, a piece of equipment that, you know, that sold for 10 grand, and all you have to do is know exactly how to refurbish it, just like old video game consoles, old cars, whatever else. And you could have yourself an insanely good two-channel amp with just a little bit of work. So I'm definitely going to be doing that. The other thing that I've been looking for, and I think I'm just going to ask my friends to make it with me because this is a weird one, is I would absolutely love some kind of device that takes the ARC or eARC output of a TV, so HDMI, and converts it to digital that's already out there. There's millions of those, but I also want IR control and possibly even a good quality DAC built in. All of them have analog output and all of them suck. So, you know, something like the JNOG2 or the Shitmodi, that really is the name of the company, S-C-H-I-I-T, but uh, something like those without those features and IR control built in for this exact reason. What if you found yourself an amazing piece of vintage equipment that does use a remote control, so now you could just use it with your modern setup. So if anybody knows of one of those, please let me know before I go down the rabbit hole of trying to make our own. If we did, it would be open source, so it wouldn't be a waste of time anyway, because other people could use it, but... I really would love to know if something like that is out there. Also, the only other thing I want to mention is that Charles said that Firebrand X was saying not all SNESs are built the same in regards to audio. So it's possible they got lucky that the SNES was compatible with the uh, Gashelli Labs JNOG 2. Not quite the same application. So FBX is right in that you're never going to get the same exact MD4EA audio out of every SNES. And uh, if people want me to explain, I could definitely have that conversation. But I think if you found a DAC that works with an SNES digital audio mod, that DAC will work with every single SNES with that same digital audio mod chip. You're not going to find a, a scenario where you have five one-chip O1s and five of the same digital audio mods and some work on the DAC and some don't, I I don't think, 99.9% sure that that is not a thing. If it works for you, it'll work for everybody. Um, The audio difference is interesting, and maybe I can have a chat with FBX about that because I'd love love to hear him explain it with me, like, interrupting to make sure that, you know, it's, uh, he explains it in a way that dummies like me could even understand it. I think that'd be a fun thing to do, but 
yeah, so I just wanted to put that out there. If that worked for you, it's going to work for everybody. But thanks for the recommendation on the DAC. I'm going to look into this. Um, I'm very happy with the ship Modi I got, but I'm always looking for new devices um, and especially ways to utilize older high-end equipment with newer stuff. Jason Guffey has a couple of basic soldering-related questions. First, they're wondering if I have any suggestions with dealing with the slack from things like soldering or desoldering stations and hot air guns. They love having extra tube length to work with, but the slack sometimes gets in the way and bumps into other tools given the tension in the hoses. Is there something they could use to hold them, or sh should they just be more careful? Um, for me personally, I just... because. I always have my equipment in a place that's easy to access, but sometimes I have to pull it across a desk because I'm very dominant right-handed. So if it's on the left side of me, I have to pull the thing across. So now there's a cord in front of me. So for me personally, I just got used to, to working around it and like bracing it on other stuff, but you can use light clips. So not those really strong metal clips, but light ones, like not even close clothespin clips, just very light stuff. Um, you could like, I'm looking over at my soldering station because I, I have that old metal rack that I used to have my D32 on and the posts kind of stick up on the ends. So I'll wrap it around the post. And I don't mean like twirl it around, like tie it. I mean, I'll, I'll wrap it around. So if I go to tug too hard, it'll catch on the side a little bit first. So it's really just, I don't know if there's a trick to it other than you could try to reposition your equipment you could try to just use light clips to keep them out of the way of what you're working on. But I think it's one of those things like if you've ever worked with air tools in an auto shop, you got to just get used to like wrapping your, you know, wrapping your foot around it to keep it in place and stuff like that. Second and kind of third, they have a few rolls of vinyl electrical tape and Kapton tape, and they're wondering when they should be using one over the other. Same kind of question applies to using electronic cleaner like WD-40 contact cleaner versus just good old 90% IPA. When are the best times to use one and not the other? So um, thickness of tape is certainly a factor in there. Remember that if you're in a place with heat, both of those are going to fall off at some point. So uh, I found that Kapton tape t tends to last a little bit longer. But I don't know if I would call that like a, a rule of thumb. I would call that more, that's my personal experience with the stuff that I've used. But thickness of tape is definitely one of them. A cost of tape is another. There were a few times I did mods where I basically covered the entire metal shield, not the motherboard, the metal shield with black tape, um, just so that, you know, while there, I wasn't really afraid of flex, I just kind of wanted to be sure. And I wouldn't have wasted all that money using it with Kapton tape, but, you know, a giant roll for a dollar black tape, sure, why not? Um, so it, it's really just kind of the overall, I think there's multiple factors. So the look, the thickness, um, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? How, you know, the cost, how much of it do you need versus something else? But I would really be interested in other experts' opinions on this because it's very plausible that I'm missing something and there could be one thing that one really does over the other. But uh, I, I use them both and I just choose based on the entire setup. And, and looks is definitely one of them. There's sometimes like I'll use some Kapton tape that is far less noticeable. And if I want to just make sure that I keep slack of wires down, prevent from isolation, I might just do that. As for contact cleaner versus IPA, I almost never use contact cleaner. And I think I would really love an expert to explain why you would need that over IPA in certain uh, scenarios. Now, 
The one scenario that I absolutely know I would rather use contact cleaner is things like the volume knob on a Sega Genesis Model 1. Heck, even the reset button on a Model 1 Genesis. Just getting in there and cleaning it with IPA isn't always going to do it. I think using contact cleaner, which I think is more coarse and abrasive, I think that... I think that's the specific use for that is when you need something rougher, but please don't take my word on that. Um, That is how I use it. I would really love an expert to explain the differences because I'm sure there's factors like chemical differences and how to clean it and when it could be more harmful than good or, or vice versa. So that's an excellent question and one that I don't have a real answer to. I could just only tell you how I've used it, which is probably right, but I'm wrong a lot, so I have no problem with being wrong. Being wrong sometimes helps other people because I get to explain when I screwed up, but that's just kind of my my overall opinion. Lastly, have I heard from Voltar? He, uh, Jason remembered him saying on Twitter he was going to do a podcast or something with you, but he got sick, and I don't know whatever happened with that. Um, I cannot confirm nor deny that Voltar is addicted to inhaling solder fumes, so I'm going to just have to let him, when he gets out, talk to everybody about that. So that's it for this week. There weren't too many questions, so that's kind of why I spent a little extra time answering each one. I always try to find a happy balance with this stuff. So if I open up the support services one day and I see there's like 25 questions, I try to just get to the end so that I could get to everybody's. On days like today where there uh, there weren't too many questions, I felt like it was kind of fun to just dig in deeper than I normally would on some of those. But if you disagree and you'd rather just me stick to the just skip to the end and move on, just let me know politely in the comments and I'll listen, but I kind of have fun going in deep on some of these topics and especially things like the DAC stuff. Uh, Basically, anytime I'm already working on a project and somebody asks a question, I get super fired up because like I am knee deep in DAC stuff right now. So I I really, I just kind of get excited when other people are into the thing that I'm into at the moment. So hopefully it all came out okay. But if you have any questions at all, just ask wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. The way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. And I really just love scrolling through in real time and kind of treating it like I always do. Like I'm just hanging out with all of you, very, very laid back and low key. So any questions at all you have, put them wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. And if for whatever reason I missed the question, it's not intentional. It's usually because I screwed up something in post. But anyway, thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible. It is you who is keeping all of this going. So thank you so much. So much and I'll see you next week.